Hello, and welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. I'm Peter Bregman, and I believe that the best leaders don't try to do it alone. As the CEO of Bregman Partners, my mission for over 30 years and the mission of this podcast is to help successful people like you close your leadership gaps, grow as leaders, and inspire your team, inspire all the people around you to get great results. With us today is Dave Evans and Bill Burnett. Uh, Dave is an entrepreneur. He worked at Apple. He led the design of Apple's first mouse. Uh, he co-founded Electronic Arts before uh, becoming a cons uh, consulting assistant professor at Stanford. Uh, Bill uh, is the executive director of the design program at Stanford. He's worked professionally on a wide variety of projects ranging from award-winning Apple PowerBooks to the original Hasbro Star Wars action figures. Yeah. It's kind of awesome. Yeah. Um, together, they wrote the book Designing Your Life, which we've had them both on the podcast for that book. Today, we have them on the podcast for Designing Your Work Life, How to Thrive and Change and Find Happiness at Work. Bill, Dave, welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Yeah, it's nice to actually be here this time. Yeah, it's nice, nice to be in person. Doing this 3D thing, what a concept. <laughs> uh, so let's start, first of all, with like and 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 you know either of you can can decide who wants to answer this, but like why another book? Designing Your Life was a great book. It did really well. Mm -hmm. It was you know it was both successful and had a lot of core ideas in it of design thinking applied to right. life. Mm -hmm. Why this book? Well, to our great astonishment, the book has done I mean frighteningly well. I mean we're between five and six hundred thousand copies in twenty three languages. We really didn't see that coming. Um, and so um, we're getting a lot of feedback from a lot of people around the world. We're hearing a lot of things. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. And the publisher is going, it's not a book. It's a movement. Let's keep the movement going. You know, what's the next thing? So the next thing was a conversation for a while. Um, and based on both what we heard from the field, from our many readers, clients, and students, you know, we now also at Stanford taught over 100 universities how to do this kind of work with their million plus students. Um, so we have a lot of feedback. And a lot of people spend a lot of time, in fact, more time than anywhere else at work. And even if I don't want to jump ship and redesign my life entirely, I'd like to make my life a little better. And if I picked one place to make it a little better, I'd do it at work. Uh, and then the publisher said the same thing, like, you know, that would be something everybody could use. Bring it right down to the ground, a real practical toolkit for redesigning where I spend most of my time. So that's why we wrote the book. What does it mean to make it a movement? Uh, well, oh, every you time know, you don't want to answer, you're going to pass it to Bill. Ahead, I like that. that. I like that. that. <laughs> you know, we've got... <laughs> We've got, you know, 50 some thousand people on the email list who want to know what we're going to do next. We've got people in, you know, 600 or 800 book clubs now on our Facebook page talking about, you know, going through designing your life and, and thinking about that. Um, one of Dave and my objectives at Stanford was get the get two, two kinds of impact, write a book so that people can't come to Stanford can take the, you know, take the class and get it off campus. So we've been running studios for other universities. I just came back from Bowling Green State University in upstate Ohio. Mm -hmm. They've decided to become the first life design university where from freshman year to your senior year, you're gonna learn these tools to figure out how to design a thriving, exciting life. And and then what's everybody you know, what does everybody do for most of the time in that life? They have a job in it, right? So get the big story about life right and then get a job in it that's meaningful and, and um, something that you know that that you want to get up in the morning and do and you know the stats were terrible like 68 percent 70 percent of americans wake up on monday morning and go yeah i gotta go to work 
and it sucks. <laughs> yeah, so 69% of American workers and 85% of global workers are disengaged. About half that number is severely so. I mean, they're stuck at work. They're pretty unhappy. Yeah. It Work's not working. Right. Um, so what, what's a movement? A movement isn't just like, hey, let's go sell a bunch of books. Um, but let's change the conversation. Right. We're trying to change the conversation in education. It's not just about the liberal education, but finding ways or just about building a career at college. It's about finding a way to navigate your way forward into a way find into a future of your right. own design. So the competency of figuring out your future is something you can learn. And now in the workplace, the competency of taking responsibility um, for the agency you have over your own career satisfaction, you need some tools for that. So right. I think the movement idea is to change the conversation. Right. We've, we've been trying to change it on campus. We're trying to change it in the culture at large about it's not find your passion, it's design your way forward. That's a really different way of going about it. And in the workplace, hey, if you want a better job, the first person you could probably go to to get it from would be you. So there's a way in which you're saying that you want to change the conversation. I'm also hearing that you're wanting to change expectations. Meaning people don't, for the most part, if 70% of the workforce is disengaged, they don't actually have an expectation of going to work and being engaged. Right. And, and it feels like what's, what's most important as a first step is to change the expectation of, of how people think about work. Well, yeah, and also, you know, it's a kind of modern idea that your work is going to somehow be meaningful and, and you're going to be super passionate about it, right? Um, my grandfather came from, you know, Germany in 1933. Didn't think that Hitler guy just got elected was going to turn out so well. And he worked on any job he could get just to bring his family here and mm -hmm. put a roof over their head. Nowadays, people are thinking, you know, maybe work should be more meaningful. Maybe that's where I find my purpose in life. But we want to we want to open that expectation up too, and kind of redesign like, well, where does meaning come from? And, you know, what's the difference between meaning and money? And uh, how do you take the agency that you've got in your own job? Uh, you don't need your boss to help you make your job more meaningful. There's a lot of things that we 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 understand about the psychology about how we're motivated that we can use to make our jobs more meaningful. So we try to pack all that in the book so that people had some really simple ways forward. Right. Um, but yeah, to some extent, you know, when you when you move from a fixed mindset to a designer's mindset, when you move from a well, what you know, future is going to come, and I'll just take whatever I get, I'll deal with it, to a hey, wait a minute, I can change this a little bit. I have I have agency in designing this future. Um, that really changes what your expectations are, um, and you become more resilient because right. you know stuff's going to happen. You can't control. We don't, we're not design thinking is not magical thinking. It doesn't suddenly make the world do what you want. But you're more resilient because you have a lot of options and you know how to design your way in, into many, many options for the future. And that seems to make people happier. So a fundamental core aspect of design thinking is what you said, uh, Dave, which is, you know, it's not just follow your passion. Right. And, you're, and, and, and even more so, like, you're not going to figure this all out in your head. I, I can't, I, you know, one of the things that your book did for me the first time was help me in conversations where people are trying to make decisions. And I'm very, very quick now to say, you know, if, if we can't figure it out in a couple of minutes, you got to go try something right. and, and then right. see what your experience is and see what feedback you get. Can you talk a little bit about that so people have an yeah. understanding? So what is design thinking, which is the modern moniker of um, human-centered design? which is an innovation developmental methodology. 
Um, it's one of a variety of problem-solving techniques or methods that the School of Engineering at Stanford teaches. You know, we're in the design program inside the Mechanical Engineering Department of the School of Engineering at Stanford. We teach a rigorous... How do you even remember that? <laughs> you know, I'm a Stanford prof. I'm really right. smart. The, um, it's just a long, a long sentence I'm used to. The, um, but the point being, um, it's a bottom-up empiricism. So if we can't solve it quickly, then that means that's not a tame problem well understood for which there are theories and proven research that knows the answer. And some data. Which is right. top down. So a lot of academic work is research top down. You know, here's the right answer to a well understood problem. Right. And when that works, that's lovely. That's great. Um, but all the gnarly stuff is much messier and it's empirical. So we don't know. We have to go try things. So this is the bias to action. The core of design thinking is prototype iteration, right? So go try mm -hmm. stuff. What we call in this book, the set the bar low and clear it method, um, you know, small steps. And that's core to the way we do things. So, you know, the way you move forward, certainly in life and career design is, you know, um, go empathetically, check out what's really going on, learn in person from what's happening in the scene you're considering participating in, and then go start trying stuff, i.e. running prototypes. So in some ways, if I were to actually relate that in very personal ways, like if someone's thinking about marriage, you date first. Yes. Right? If you think about having children, get a dog first. Right. Like do dog sit for your friend. A dog for a sit for your friend yeah, for a for week, week and, yeah. and like try you know, and it won't be exact, but if you can't right. if the dog starves then you know maybe you're not ready to have have a child yet. There's right. actually some work Dan Gilbert's done at Harvard um, on surrogation versus analysis and decision making accuracy, um, and, and kind of an awful study that was about speed dating actually. And they asked a bunch of women who were considering going online and you know researching men they might want to date. Um, we'll give you two choices. We can either give you this thick dossier with a whole bunch of information about this guy, and you can figure out who he is and decide if you which one of these dossiers you mm -hmm. would like to try dating, or the same group of men, we can give you phone numbers of some women who've recently had a date with him and you can call them. Which one would you like? And the large majority of people took the dossier because like I'm a no. really smart person. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, because wow. like, I mean, well, I don't, I don't, you know, here's, you know, Ben's off camera. And so Ben, I don't know, Ben, I mean, it, just because he liked her doesn't mean it's going to work for me. Um, give me the data. I'll figure it out myself. Right. And the correlation between what did I think was going to happen with the person I picked um, and what in fact happened is if I use the analytic data, no correlation at all. Right. I got it wrong every time. Right. If I talk to people. Or I got it wrong sometimes right, but it was yeah, random. But yeah. totally random. Yeah. It was no better than monkeys jumping on keyboards. Right. Um, and if I had a conversation with a number of people, even if they were different from me or like she said, he wasn't that interesting. Actually, I think he might be because I'm pretty sure I'm not you. My ability as a human being to right. pick up the experience of a human being, because as Bill often says, we are embodied intelligences. We are not brains on transport systems. Right. Um, that actually picking up that, just the conversation is actually an empirical embodied experiential encounter that gives me incredibly important information. It's a lot different than just Googling. Because in this, in this case, the surrogate, the surrogation, the surrogate who had the experience with the person is a prototype. Right. She ran a prototype right. with this guy and it was good or bad. And then as I get to know her, I get to know how close to, to her experience, my experience have been. And now I make a much better decision because right. the answer is in the world. Radical right. collaboration with the world. Now, would you suggest that people rely on those conversations versus have the experience themselves? Or would you suggest that that's just part of their decision-making process? Does my question make sense? Yeah, yeah it makes sense. I mean, in, in the case of the dating thing, obviously, going on the date isn't a prototype. It's the right. whole thing that's going it's, on the date. Right. They're, what they're trying to do is make a good decision about which of the 10 people that to spend, time, might, on. Yeah, spend yeah. time on. So in that case, the prototype makes sense. Um, there's a lot, a lot of stuff, you know, even on the, in, on the job. Like mm -hmm. we say, don't, read, don't resign. 
don't resign and lose your whole network of people that you know here. Just redesign, redesign in place. When you move from one job to another in the same organization, you're actually quitting one job and starting a new one. It's, it's a whole reboot. It can be, can be small, it can be really big. We've got four ways to do it. But in that case, you really want to prototype by talking to lots of people in the firm to figure oh. out, does it really make sense for me to move from here to there? I think I've got these skills, but I don't know. Maybe I should go talk and to George. And try stuff and do this. So it's a both yeah. answer. Step yeah. one is talk to. Step two is do stuff. Right. Um, I mean, the short version, get curious, talk to people, try stuff, tell your story. That's the very short version. That's the book right. in 10 say, words. Say it one more time slowly. Get curious. Get curious. Talk to people. Talk to people. Try stuff. Yeah. Try stuff. So there's two forms of prototyping, by the way. That's half the list of four. Tell your story. Right. Um, so that you do that and the try stuff in the workplace is like, so it's not like, oh, go take the GREs, get an MBA, work for, you know, four years at right. night on the side, then go try working in the analyst group in finance instead of this marketing sales thing I'm doing and then go, ah, I don't like it. Right. Uh, no, start talking to those people in marketing and sales and then say, hey, could I do a ride along on a sales call? Would I mind if I sat in on a staff meeting? Right. So do prototyping, even a small project. Can I help you on that? Let me run the numbers on that for you. Right. You know, she can get wet long before you get the job. Right, right, right. Um, I'm curious about, and I'm, I'm still on the dating thing because I find it so interesting, but I'm curious about whether there's some way you, from a surrogate perspective, you can assess yourself in comparison to others to make good surrogate kind of choices. And, and, and what I'm thinking about is like, you know, there are some people like, I, I, I write and I speak, you guys write and you speak and, and, and you like what you do. Yeah. Right. I like what I do. Um, there are people who would absolutely hate, hate what this. we do. Right. 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 Like they would hate to be on camera having this conversation. They right. would hate to, you know, right. come up with new ideas and stand up in front of a crowd of a thousand people yeah. and talk. Right. They would right. like absolutely hate it. Yeah, right. But if they talked to us, we would be like, oh, my this God, is this is right. awesome. Like you should totally do this. So how do you help people? Like what's your advice or what's your thought process around that challenge of surrogacy? Well, actually, if people came in and asked me about this, I'd say, you know, it's, a, it's actually pretty challenging. I'm an introvert. I really don't like standing in front of large, large groups of people. I don't like staring at myself on a camera. It's really kind of weird. I've had to get used to doing that. But so I would tell them that part. And then I would tell them, hey, the part I really like, which Dave hates, by the way, is I go off for three weeks to someplace where nobody knows who I am. I work on the book for 60, 70 hours a day a week you know a i just day. write all day i write all night i write all day i write all night i do that for three weeks i produce sixty thousand words i cut it down to 40. i turned in my half of the manuscript i love that part but you gotta like being all by yourself right. talking to yourself in a room right and you know so I, people actually actually ask me about this experience they would get some data about whether that fit for them because it isn't all fun so the questions they ask is really important yeah. what are the aspects you like about this so what how do, you do i like do good circus so this right. is why we say look we call it the the um you know, the life design or the career design prototype conversation. We're, this is not the research call. This is, first of all, don't learn face-to-face. -face. We're having FaceTime, right? right? We must never get, we know each other kind of well and, and we see you now and then, but I don't, don't waste FaceTime on stuff I can get at your website. Right. So don't waste FaceTime on stuff you can get elsewhere. And then when I'm with you, don't just have the content conversation. Well, do you, how much money do you make on this and what requirements are in the job? And, you know, who do you work with? I mean, that's helpful. That's fine. But now, and what's that like for you? What did you used to do? How is it different? How do you make that decision? What's your favorite part? What's what's the surprise for you? Get the human experience of the what's story. The real day in the life life. And if I hear your story, not just your facts, mm -hmm. then I will quickly know, oh, that's really interesting. It's coherent to you and you are so not me. Right. So my ability to recognize whether or not your story makes 
uh, it's going to make sense, right? Because if you're coherent and you can speak well, you're going to tell me a story that makes some sense to you, whether or not it's my story too or not. You're my tribe or not. We call this harmonic resonance. You know, can you actually pick up on that's a good vibe? Is it mine? I gave some students years ago an assignment, you know, go talk to people and find out what it's like. So two young women were interested in dentistry. And one comes back and goes, oh, Dave, thank you so much. You saved my life. This is something that saved my life because dentistry is horrible. I've talked to three dentists. It's awful. You know, I don't want to go there. Thank you. Thank I God. So five minutes later, here comes Ann in. Thank you so much. So the most important assignment I ever had because, you know, dentistry is fabulous. They're so happy. It's a great field. I can't wait to go. And I kind of go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Neither of you know anything. You met three happy dentists. You met three unhappy dentists. Dentistry isn't good or bad. It's just dentistry. It's just teeth exchange names, go interview the other three. You now both met three happy and three unhappy. Then you two have dinner and talk about why are the happy dentists happy? Why are the unhappy dentists unhappy? And what does either of those things got to do with who the heck am I? Right. That's what you want surrogacy to do for you. It's great. And, and what's clear to me also is if you're going to engage in designing your work life yep. and you're going to engage in exploring this and prototyping, you need, you know, of course, my gig is emotional courage, right? The willingness right. to feel things. But you need the willingness to ask questions, yes. stick with it, probe deeply. Mm -hmm. Like it's not a surface conversation about do you like this or not. No. It's like, you know, you have to be willing to maybe a little uncomfortably probe to understand right. many more specifics. Probably what you'll find is they're more than happy to answer because people tend to like to talk about themselves. But you're asking yeah, them do. for something they have, which is their story, which right. is different than asking them for a job. Right. It's another good reason that you want to also have an experience. You could have that story and then say, hey, can I just do it? Can I shadow you for a day? Can I shadow this dentist for right. a day? Uh, we've got students who really, really think they want to, you know, be, go pre-med and get a, and then go to medical school and get a degree. And we say, go talk to some doctors. And they come back and half the time they say, the doctors aren't very happy, you know, and, and but go, go below that story because a lot of times when people do tell their story, they try to, you know, spiff it up a little. They want to make it sound like it's a pretty good job. Um, and we give them lots of ideas about how you can get to, you know, maybe a more vulnerable set of answers than right. that. Uh, and then going in and trying it yourself. Like, you know, one student said, I walked into, as soon as I walked into the hospital, it just felt like the right place for me. I don't know why, I can't explain it, but my body felt great. And other people can walk into that exact same experience and go. It's an energetic it response. Yeah. It's an energetic response. It's an embodied, it's an embodied, embodied experience. Yeah, yeah. So they have they have that, um, and 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 then they have the opportunity to go to go deeper. You know, to shadow right. for a day, to do anything. In, in the case of jobs, you've got this whole organic thing called the workplace. Any any job with any company with more than 100 people in it, there's stuff doing, there's all people doing stuff, stuff all, all yeah. over the place. And you only get to see a little piece of it because you work with the three or four or five, six people that you work with and your boss and maybe your boss's boss. And that's the most you get to see. But if you can get start talking to people inside the organization and, and even thinking, if you're thinking about different kinds of moves you might make, um, you can really start to not only see where are the interesting people, where are the interesting jobs, um, you know, I was at Apple when it was much smaller. Apple, I think it's 30 or 40,000 people now. It was 1,000 when you were there. It was 800. Yeah. 800 when you were there, right? Um, so there isn't one Apple experience. I have students who are having an amazing experience with a fantastic boss who's really, you know, mentoring and, and driving them to their best possible uh, performance. And there are places where they're kind of bored. Right. So it really depends on where you are. But that, that ability to inquire, start with curiosity, mindsets of curiosity and reframing, figure out what people are doing, talk, ask a lot of questions, Bias to action, get out in the world, try some stuff. Mm -hmm. You don't need your boss's permission to do more work than you've been asked to do. You right. don't need your boss's permission to add a little something creative to your job. 
there's a lot of ways to do you know what we call a simple cosmetic remodel and and then find yourself in a much more interesting situation than you were when you started speak about reframing uh, reframing is sort of the power tool of designers, right? Because you're never, you're almost never as uh, we're, we've been consultants for years. Clients never give you the right problem. I'm sure right. you've, you've run this. Well, they frame the problem too narrow. They I frame. Mean, how often with a client do you say that's exactly the right question? Right. The first thing out of your mouth. That, that was exactly perfect. The right yeah, I, let's I, work on that. Right. And I would actually say that they don't even ask me a question. They ask me for a deliverable. Right. And the deliverable is almost always wrong. Right. It's almost wrong. Right. So it's stepping back, it's looking at the problem from a different point of view. It's really, in our case, you know, you're starting with empathy, empathy for yourself. What, what, what are my talents and abilities? What does the world need? What is going on in this problem? Why is this, uh, this relationship either with my boss or the company not working? Um, so you start with empathy and then you try to figure out, you know, like cut through the drama, cut through all the noise. What's really going on here for me and maybe for my boss? And, and then you can reframe the problem and you know you've done it right when all of a sudden with that reframe you can think of, hey, there's five things I want to try. There's five right. prototypes I can run now. Right. Because the big question is how do you get unstuck? I'm stuck because it's somebody else's fault. I'm stuck because the job is boring. I'm stuck because dot, 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 dot. It's not meaningful enough. Like, not meaningful. Right. So, it's you know, politics. I mean, right. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm eight, I'm eight months into the job. I'm a brand new kid out of, out of uh, college. I'm not having any impact yet. It's like, all right, well, let's stop. Let's reframe. What, what does impact mean? Yeah. How do you find it? What could you do with the experience that you have that could be impactful? What are some, dot, 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 on you go. So what are some guidelines of questions you can ask? Because you have them in the book right. that will help people get started on reframing. Like people who said like, yeah, I get reframing, I get, but I don't even know where to start. Well, very often it's, we actually have a, we, because we've been doing it so long, we unfortunately, both Bill and I, have an, a deep unconscious competency in reframing. Right. I mean, the, the honest answer, hey Dave, how do you reframe? As I listened to, to Peter talking for a while, and then I take a quick check on the 17 screens in the, in the multi-cinema in my head, and on one of the screens it says, maybe it looks like this, and it rephrases what you just said, and then I read that screen off of my brain, right. and then I read it back to you, and you go, oh, that's a better way to say it. So just look up at the screen and pick the right one. That doesn't help. Um, that's not a helpful tip because uh, I've been doing this for 40 years. What we tell people is normally what they're stuck on is either a description of a problem or a description of something that they're going to work on. So like the example in the book is, how do you reframe? So guy goes, oh, you know, um, I'm never going to get any appreciation around here. My boss is just a jerk. So his frustration is, I'm looking for feedback. I don't get any feedback. I don't get constructive appreciation right. or feedback. And my, um, and my boss is a jerk. He doesn't care. And so yeah. what you, the first thing just we look for is... Um, very possibly there are errors, factual errors or melodrama mm -hmm. in your framing that if we could take it out, might free it up. So like, I'll never get any appreciation around here. My boss is just a jerk. So the melodrama is never right, and just a jerk. I mean, is he really 24 by 7? Just a jerk? It doesn't do anything well at all? Really? So we, we strip the drama out like, okay, to date I've had great difficulty in obtaining feedback and my boss appears committed not to be doing that. Right. Now that's a more objective statement. Like, okay, what can I do with that? Okay, so now, okay, my choices are, is, is there a way to get it from my boss, yes or no? And if not, then what? So that could actually invite to, where do I go from here? So the framing is, how do I obtain more feedback in a culture that is not normally committed to that and from a boss without that skill? Right. That's an objective question. Now I could actually go, to, I could take a personal So what risk. you're doing is you're taking, first of all, you're taking the personal charge out of it. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Because usually if I'm stuck. You're saying like, let's start with a premise that your boss in general, that other people are not jerks. 
right. like as a right. basic Somebody, premise. Yeah. Right. Like there, you know, like people general. I mean, some people are jerks, right. right? But but as a general premise, if we're we're better off starting to ask the question. If we if we start with the premise that people are not jerks, and, and remember, he's just a person. He's got a boss who he doesn't get feedback from, and right. he thinks who thinks he thinks is a jerk. Right. So we're all kind of in this in in, the, in this game and taking the drama out and, right. and doing the you know kind of a factual restatement. Now, Frank. Now all of a sudden you can say, oh well, maybe it's not just my boss I could get feedback from, and lots of places I get. The only places right. I can go, and it turns out, um, see, overstating things doesn't do you any good at all, right? See, your frustrated emotions, emotional courage, right? You know, have the emotional courage to recognize, look, you're just mad because you're not getting what you want. Right. Okay, so, oh, now all you need to know is I'm not getting what I want. Right. Now, if I call him just a jerk, I get to blame him. It's his fault. So, so let me I'm ask you a question. Because then the way I would think about it is one way of doing that is, okay, so if you're feeling frustrated or angry right. or, or despondent or whatever it is that you might be feeling. Yeah. Right. It, it's probably because there's something you care about right. that's not happening. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. But there's something yeah. you care about yeah. that's not happening. Right. So if and you back you're into not that, you're a bad you don't want. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so and if you think you, you deserve it, and you and it's, think you deserve it's it, it's called pain. It's causing you some pain. Right. And, and so the noise then, is your pain voicing itself. And so maybe the next question is, so what is it that you care about that you're not getting? Yeah. And then you start from there and go, okay, well, how do you get that thing that, that you... That, that would be a classic reframe because you right. zoomed up a yeah. level. You said, okay, this is the situation, but what am I not getting? Yeah. Right. I, like, I, I want to get better at my job. That seems like a reasonable expectation. Right. To do that, I need feedback on how right. I'm doing. I'm not getting any. What can I do? You know what it's reminding me of a little bit? Byron Katie was on the show and, and she has her four questions. Yep, right? right, and her four, and I'm I, I'm probably not going to remember them exactly, but it's like, when when you're when you're stuck on something, the question is, is it true? Yeah. And then if you think it's true, it's like, is it really true? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> like like ask yourself yeah. again if you're yeah. saying it's true. Like, yeah. is that really true that it's true? And then, two assessment questions in the in the book, which are what's going on, followed by what's, what's really, really going, going on. on. Right, yeah. I know, I love those questions. Yeah. That's why I was sort of thinking about it. <laughs> and then and then the question of, who are you when you believe? That it's true. Yeah, that's interesting. Right, and, that. and I Who love that. Is it that says yeah, like right, when, right. like what does it do? What are the consequences to you believing that this is true? Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh well, I you know I write off my boss, or I do, right. and, I, like and I actually I think I never thought off, of right. them as like reframing questions, but they're actually very good reframing. No, questions. No, that's a reframing process. Absolutely, because yeah. what you just disempowered yourself. Right. You you made the problem bigger than it is. Right. You blame them, which means apparently you're a victim. Right. As opposed to so actually when I am in this I too do a little coaching like you do, and when I'm talking to a senior executive about something like this, and they're saying that about a whole organization or a division. Right. I say, look, we need to attain executive transcendency. Mm -hmm. now, we don't use that term in the book because it's kind of weird. Um, <laughs> but what I mean by that is you guys I, are from California. I ought to objectively be able to float up above the situation, look down on it coolly, right. and simply describe the facts. Right. You know, but putting out the word about the new corporate strategy for the last six months, right. you know, and this band of idiots hasn't heard me yet. Right. 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 That's a nice executive. Right. Victimization. So as opposed to I noticed that my communication process over the last six months has repeatedly not failed. Hasn't it repeatedly been not successful. Right. Now, what do we do? Right. Um, as opposed to, you know, give me somebody with a three digit IQ and I can do better. You know, I mean, right. which I've heard that when my CEO clients used to let us say, I just need three digit IQs. And we're like. I think you probably have them, actually. Yeah, uh, it may be you. So I th the, the whole reframing thing is cool right. off. Tell the truth. By the way, design only works in reality. Mm -hmm. We often talk about we don't shoot on you, and we don't recommend you shoot on yourself. 
Magical thinking is at the root of an awful lot of difficulty. So start with reality. That's why you are here is the, is the symbol right, embossed right. on the cover of the book again. <clears throat> again and that's where you again. start. Very you have to start in reality and it. then you can go forward. Right. Because that's where your most agency will be felt. And if you want to even start doing this like small remodel in place, you know, you got to begin with where you are and have some reasonable incremental goals. Make it a little bit better. I know it's not good enough, but it right. might be more than good enough for now. Right. So I, this is related to it, and it was something you wrote that I really, really liked. And and I have an ultimate question at the end of this, Okay. which I think is a $60 million dollar question. Yeah. The ultimate question. The ultimate question. So it says, note, beware of being attracted to problems, conflicts, forgotten to do items, etc. The mind loves to get caught up in that stuff. When that stuff appears, and it will, just tell yourself, I'll get to that another time and let it go. Don't fight it or attempt to resolve it, both of which steal all your attention. Just acknowledge it and then let it go and return to your reflection. Yes, that takes some practice to get the hang of it. So this question of like, like I, I, I see this in people all the time, including myself, this right? This is your seventh day reflection exercise, right? Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and it's... Um, and you know, and like I like, there's in an organization. There's a problem I'm thinking of, and there's a person who's the problem. Right. And it is so seductive yes. to gossip about this issue and this problem and what's happening and to learn. Yes. And so the sixty million dollar question is like, just let it go. <laughs> you know, like how do we just let it go? Like that's like like I I understand how to actively Good. do something. You're both like it. You take the mic. Yeah, okay. um, yeah. Yeah. Like I understand how to actively do something. Yes. But how to stop doing something that is, you know, unbelievably appealing yeah. and, and, you know, by human nature appealing, right. but also, you know, like we're stuck somewhere. Right. Like how do we just sort of let that go? And you can't stop. Right. You can't just, okay. For the next five minutes, whatever you do, don't, don't think, think of a blue pink horse. Elephant. Yeah, yeah, pink blue elephant, horse, blue horse. Right? Yeah. I do blue horses, you do pink elephants. I think you pink know. elephants. Now we're yeah. going to be thinking of like a relationship a between a pink elephant a pink and a unicorn. blue horse. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Right. Oh, and um, so you can't go there. Right. But the uh, the key, this is the, the, the mindfulness of process, mm -hmm. uh, designer mindset. Like what is going on and where am I? Right. right. So just be in charge of yourself. And so like, oh, there I go again. And so the key, the key trick, I think, is... Um, number one, oh, I get stuck in the rumination about being upset and rehearsing that argument. I hear that squeaky little hamster wheel thing in my head when I go around and around, say the same stuff over and over again, just get more upset. Okay, mm -hmm. that's not helpful. Right. And then I notice I'm starting to do that. I hear that first little squeak because here I go again, or that same, there he goes again, and I do that same routine. Right. And as soon as I do that, I stop and kind of go, oh, no, don't do that. And boom, it's got me anyway. Because right. now I'm res either You're doing the dumb thing or getting mad at resisting the yeah. dumb thing right. are the same right. dumb thing. Right. They've got me either way. As opposed to like, oh, just for a quick forgiveness, right? right? Back in reality. Oh, there I go again. Right. Is there something I can do about that right now? Is, is, can I take action on that? No, it's, it's, oh, if it's not actionable, it's not a problem, it's a circumstance. Right. So what I need to do now is to redirect my attention by literally physically get up, walk somewhere else, go do something, you right. know, connect to a different client. I mean, you got to change the channel. Right. Not just somehow right. rewire. So I've the... thought about that a lot. So I've thought about the fact that like what you have to do, it's kind of like when I'm meditating and my yeah. mind wanders, I don't sit around thinking about why it's wandered yeah. or perseverating over what it's wandered about. No. You just bring it back to your breath, right? Yep. You just bring it. So what you're saying is bring it back to your breath. Bring it back. Like bring it back to your breath. Yeah. And, and if that's a biased action and a thing you can actually do, a prototype you can build, a conversation you can have, a cup of coffee, you can, you know, walk down the hall and talk to... Um, uh, the maintenance guy, because he knows all the rumors of all the stories of everything that's going on, then you go do that, right? Go right. That. It's, it sounds a little silly to just say, don't, you know, 
if you don't like it, don't think about it. But it, you, 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 the way you don't think about it is you redirect your attention to something. That but you, yeah, you're not saying if you don't like it, don't think about it. You're saying if you don't like it, think about something else. Yeah, you have right, to re- right. redirect your attention to something that's useful, right. something or that do is something actionable. else. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, you know, we use the word generative a lot. You know, right. we, we teach generative conversation. We have a chapter on generative quitting. You know, that look, um, there's a whole lot of deconstruction. There's a whole lot of critique. There's a whole lot of skepticism um, out there. There's a lot of analysis out there, none of which are really building anything. So as designers, you know, we're maker guys. We want to build stuff. So how is this, you know, the psychologist asks you, how is this serving you now? Right. You know, um, that's one of Bill's favorite questions in office. It's a great question. Um, and as a maker, like how, what are you building? Right. What are we building now? Right. One question I have is from the, uh, from the perspective of the leader in an organization. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things that I hear leaders complain about all the time is they are trying to focus the organization in a certain way. They're trying to focus people in work and people... If they've talked to you to give massive traction. Massive traction on their most important work. Um, and and increasingly they're finding and I'm, increasingly I'm hearing this that like people are like no I don't want to do that work that's not the right work for me I'm going to do other work and 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 they're struggling with how do I get people to do the jobs I want them to do I just had someone a CEO of an organization call me and just say like I'm trying to teach these managers that even if people don't want to do the work the work has to get done they can't just farm it all out and and part of me thinks maybe they can farm it all out. Like maybe, you know, like maybe farming it out might be the right solution. But I'm wondering, like, is there, like, what what do you say to leaders who are like, I don't want people designing their own jobs. I want them doing the job I've designed for them. Well, you know, I mean, if you're really talking about senior leadership, they haven't designed a job for anybody in a long time. Somebody else has been doing that. But, you know, I, I... it is true that the, 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 the next two generations, millennials and Gen Zs, are going into the workplace and they're saying, essentially, prove this is valuable. I'll do the spreadsheets. I'll, I'll do all the analysis. I'll be the junior, junior kid on the team. I'll build, I'll build all, the, all the models for everybody. If, but you got to tell me, like, not just do the spreadsheets. You got to tell me, why does this turn mm-hmm. into business for us that turns into the client win that turns into something? So if you just can put some framework around it. Mm-hmm. My experience is, you know, people say, oh, these, these kids don't work hard. I got, I got students who start their own companies. They work 90, 100-hour weeks. They crush it. They'll work their ass off if they know what it's for and why. Right. And isn't that what right. everybody's kind of right. asking for? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, the, no, the chief learning of, former chief learning officer at Deloitte. And Deloitte's having a problem in that, you know, it's a kind of partners up here and junior, we hire 3,000 junior analysts and then you go analyst one, analyst two, analyst three, blah, 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 all the way up. And people get to about the middle and then they go, they look up at the partner and they go, that doesn't look like it's any fun and they all leave. Right. So they got partners and they got people at the bottom. They can't fill the middle because they haven't been able to explain to anybody what's the value of going up. Right. I think that's, if, if you do that well, you're not going to have the problem of people not doing their job. And if, and if you have the problem of people saying, I don't want to do that job, it's because they don't understand how it plugs into anything that they can hang, you know, their hat on, on Friday, say, well, I did a good job on that thing, and I think that moved the ball forward for everybody, and even if I'm the lowest kid on the totem pole, I know how I fit. Right. I think there's a, we do uh, kind of the research intensive chapter talks about, you know, uh, mindset, grit, and the arc of your career. And ARC standing for the research by 
uh, guy named Edward Dietschy. Edward Dietschy, yeah. uh, on the, what people really want is autonomy, relatedness, and competency. Mm-hmm. I want to know my work matters. I want to be involved with other people, and I want to be good at what I do. Right. So if you aren't investing in people getting the arc of their career to start to bend toward the direction they want, they're not going to own it. Right. So um, I'm a leader, and people aren't pulling the oars the way I want them to hard enough and fast enough. A couple things are going on there. Um, our experience, we spend a tremendous amount of our time with people under 35. Right. Both in the workplace and young companies, you know, and certainly with college students. Um, and are there some entitled whiny people out there like, hey, I did this for 10 minutes. So I want to be president now. I mean, OK, sure, a few. But in our experience, way fewer than sort of the cartoons would lead you to believe. Right. So what's really going on? But they're but they're also not going to say I'm just going to suck it up for 20 years until it's my turn. Right. And frankly, I think that's probably healthy. Right. So what's really going on is, look, leaders, you can't just say because I said so. And this is where, in my experience with executives, especially, you know, in doing change management, the big breakdown is communicating where are we going, why, and how does this relate to that? you got to show me the connectivity between why this matters mm-hmm. to this organization and therefore could matter to me. Now, that may not be enough. It kind of goes, still, no, that's only 70 and I need 85. It's not on the tomato meter high enough for me to say I'm going to watch that movie. Okay, now we're going to cut a deal. My job isn't to make you happy. My job is to run this company as well as I possibly can. Right. And if you can find a place to be happy here, that's great. Here's the deal. Is that a compromise? Now I can actually clarify the compromise I'm asking you to make. Right. And as a manager, and this is where I think this goes all the way back to the Ken Blanchard for, you know, um, situational, situational leadership model. You know, S2 and S3. Nobody does the developmental stages of real coaching and says, how can we contribute to you? How can I help you, Peter, experience some degree of autonomy, identify where you're growing in competency? This is deepening your relatedness to your other employees. I have to have the conversation to help you build some value add out of the stuff that I need done. The compelling truthfulness and the logical veracity of why it's necessary isn't sufficient. Right. It, just because it's true doesn't mean and, it's enough. And right. because it's changing anyway, maybe it's not necessary. You right. know, I mean, I, yeah, I pull hard on the oars, and then, and then pull hard on the oars, and then six months later, oh, management, management changed. We're not going that way. We're going this way. Right. If you, Google just did a massive study of you know, what makes high-performance teams, and one of the number one things is clarity of goal. I can't be a high performance team if the management keeps changing their mind. So I'm 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 suspicious about the guy who says, "Why don't they just do what I tell them to do?" It's because you tell them to do something different every six months, right? Or somebody else told them to do something different a right. month ago, and ambiguous. now you're telling. Them. Or it's ambiguous, and we right. don't know where we're going, and we don't know how that adds up to anything. And particularly, is this what you're experiencing? But, yeah. yeah, particularly yeah. when a company's changing, and we were all were going to go this way, and right. then something bad happened. Now we all have to go that way, right. or we got bought, or, or the new guys are going to set a new direction. It's the reason most change management fails is like you say, nobody, right. what, what are we changing from to? Why, where are we going? Why? I like my old job. I like doing it the way I did it. Right. Why can't I just do that? You know, and it's, it's like, on the one hand, I, we started this conversation with you're raising the bar for what people should expect from work, right? Which is we're basically yeah. saying 70% yeah. of the people are disengaged. And actually, like, yeah, that's, not okay, that's right? not okay, right? It could be better. And, and when, here's a way to get engaged. And something to happen that probably isn't going to happen. We're saying, right. in, the, in the meantime, you can make this better yourself. So exactly. get going. We're, we're, we're now ending the conversation, but also talking to leaders, basically saying, you have to raise the bar on leadership. Meaning, Absolutely. we're not living in a world anymore where you just tell people, because I'm your dad and I told you so. Yeah. Like, that's not the world we live in. No. And so... 
that raising the bar on leadership means being thoughtful about like recognizing that your workforce is different now right. and so you know you have a responsibility to actually create an engaging environment that leverages people's you know competence and skill in a way where they have autonomy and relatedness well this and, is leaders having the empathy for both the or they have to be empathetic to their market to their end user customer mm -hmm. to their competition and to their employees kind of right. like, okay this people want to, people don't want careers anymore Right. They want great lives with a cool career in it. Right. So this, the conversation really is shifted. Not just like, how do I get ahead? But if I've decided getting ahead is part of what makes my whole life work for me, then how do I get that? Which so explains when you said your book, you know, it surprised you how well, oh, yeah. how well the book did. That speaks to you're touching on something that's like very much the zeitgeist of, you know, sort of our culture right yeah. now, right. which is, you know, people, people want because people aren't just working to a career their career is fitting in with their lives right. and, and well, yeah. what their and, lives and are they're going to be three years or five years at one place two years or five years at another place right. my students if they're 20 now they're probably going to live to a healthy 100 they're right. going to be working for 60 or 70 years right you know this is a long game and you want to get real good at it and people are playing it kind of project by project yes. that's the other thing is companies right. companies aren't saying hey you know just stick to it, son, and you could be here 40 years from now. Right. Like, no, they're saying, get the project done. Right. And then and we'll, we'll reevaluate whether we want you. Right? right. And then we'll get another project done, another project right. done. I've got two people I know who've been at companies for over 20 years. Mm -hmm. One of them is, it's the Navy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right? They're not going away. And, right? and the other is IBM. Okay. Yeah, and they're both they're retiring going. after, tw like retiring right. after 22 to 25 years right. Right. of work. Now, I've been running... Bregman Partners for 22 years, and I, I don't imagine retiring anytime. You're unemployed, Peter. But, you can't quit. But I can't quit, <laughs> right? I can't quit for my own. But it's also because, because I think I, you know entrepreneurs do this naturally, right. Right. which is constantly redesigning. I mean, you guys have redesigned and reinvented your careers exactly. multiple times, right. Yeah. right? And like that's that's yeah. sort of the game, yeah. right? Right. Nothing lasts forever, and you can't. You know, if you're right. a smart person, you get bored with something, and you want to change it up. Right. And people are, you know, the statistics say they're going to have 15 to 25 jobs. They're going to have two to three different careers. Right. So, getting good at designing your way forward, building the thing you, you you're hoping to, you know, end, end up with, just seems like it's going to be more resilient. And right. when the robots come, and when AI comes, and all that stuff, you look at all the studies. Everybody agrees not on what's going to happen, but they agree that the very last jobs will be jobs with social emotional learning, intel, you know, working back and forth with human collaboration, creativity, and the kinds of things that designers learn to do from day one. So right. learn to design. You'd be more resilient. We've been speaking with Bill Burnett, Dave Evans, who have written the book most recently, Designing Your Work Life, How to Thrive and Change and Find Happiness at Work. You guys are doing awesome work. It's so fun to have you over in my house to actually do this in person and, uh, and to have you on the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Here's what I've learned from working with some of the most successful leaders of the most successful companies. Every leader, every team, and every organization has a leadership gap. If you want to become a leader who inspires your team to get things done, then you've got to start by raising the level of your leadership abilities. You can start by taking our free leadership gap assessment at www.bregmanpartners.com 
forward slash quiz. Then dive deeper with a copy of my latest book, Leading with Emotional Courage. For more ways to become a truly great leader, check out our online offerings, in-person workshops and events, and my articles at www.bregmanpartners.com. Again, thanks so much for joining me today and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.